Well, I had a lot of things I could have thought of to be thankful for. I, I think I might mention a couple more, right? Uh, one thing I'm really thankful for is that when I was really little, uh, my dad learned to know the Lord and, and trust in the Lord, and that affected my whole life. So I'm thankful for that. I had great parents. They're probably watching from North Dakota online. Hi, folks. And Gabby, I saw your hand up. Did you want to say what you're thankful for, too? Go ahead. She said she's thankful for so many new friends she's gotten since she's been here. So, that, and I am thankful for that, too. That was an answer to prayer for our daughters. When you move like that, sometimes that's tough, right? Especially on the kids. So, we have lots to be thankful for. And also, I do want to say that uh, I'm very thankful you as a congregation uh, did so many kindnesses for us, not only since we came here in June, but also during October, uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. Many of you uh, showed such kindness to us, and we thank you for that. We did try to send thank you cards to everyone. It's possible we missed someone, so if we did, we're not always the best organized but we, we were so thankful, and so if I missed sending a card out or Janelle missed sending a card, we want you to know from the bottom of our heart we're very thankful for those blessings. So, And we'll be thankful to know that we're going to be done with the book of Habakkuk this morning, which was only three chapters, but I've been getting a lot out of it. I hope you have been too. Uh, and this morning's sermon, we're going to finish that up. The title of the message is From Fear to Faith. It's the, the right response to anxiety. So just as a quick recap, because I see some new faces, I see some of you that I, I don't know if you've been here the last few weeks. We just did a short study of the book of Habakkuk, which is only three chapters. So we've only, I think this is week four and we're all done already. Um, so the book of Habakkuk, is, is a, Habakkuk was what they call a minor prophet. The only reason they're called minor prophets and major prophets is based on the length of stuff they wrote. So don't always think of a minor prophet, oh, they didn't mean much because they did, you know, they're a minor prophet, you know, they're not as important. Actually, some of the minor prophets packed quite a punch in the little that they did write, and Habakkuk certainly is one of those. But one of the, the way that starts out is Habakkuk is having a conversation with God. He says, how long? How long, God, are you going to continue to allow your people to sin against you? You don't seem to be doing anything about it. They're sinning and sinning and sinning. All of these things going on with no response, apparently, from you. So he, he has this sort of complaint. And God answers Habakkuk and says, I'm going to punish the evil, so don't worry about it. And here's how I'm going to do it. I am sending the Chaldeans to wreak havoc in order to deal with Israel. So, that's like the question you, you shouldn't have asked in the first place, right? Habakkuk asked the question, how long? And God says, oh, don't worry. The uh, judgment's coming on the people. And so, uh, now he has a second complaint. Now Habakkuk's second complaint was, the Chaldeans, they're so evil. They're even eviler than us. And how can you use them as the instrument of your... Uh, and so that's the second complaint, sort of, is based on the first one and the response he didn't like, right? And uh, so God's answer comes again. And he says, my wrath is also going to come on the Chaldeans. 
Your punishment is in order to help turn you back to me, but the punishment of the Chaldeans will be to vindicate my holiness and my righteousness. The Chaldean soul is puffed up and not upright, but the righteous shall live by his what? His faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. Now, we're going to look at this morning, the final response of Habakkuk. The text says a prayer. Um, It's really like a psalm. It's like a song meant to be set to music. Uh, It says, according to the Shigianot. And you are going to say, what is the Shigianot? And my answer is going to be, I don't know any more than you do, and I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, The term only happens one other time in all of Scripture. I think it's in Psalm 7 that uh, it seems to be some sort of musical term. It could be that it was a melody that different songs were sung to. You know, some nursery rhymes are like that. There's more than one song that goes with a particular melody. And that could be what it is, but we don't know exactly. Um, But it's a prayer or a psalm. And... uh, and then at the very end, we see again proof of that because he says it's to the choir master with stringed instruments. So that's what it's in, 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 uh, intended to be. So uh, maybe we'll sing it next week. I don't know. Ask Brandon. Uh, maybe he'll have us sing that song next week. Now, this psalm may remind you of some other songs or psalms in Scripture. Maybe it reminds you of Miriam's song. She's... She was the sister of Moses, and after the Egyptians were destroyed in the Red Sea, she sang a song. It's recorded in the book of Exodus. Maybe it reminds you of one of David's psalms, um, where he appealed to God to save him from his enemies, and then declared his complete trust in God, that God would deliver him. Parts of it remind me of Job, and, and Job is an interesting one. He, he declared, even with all he was going through, he said even if God slayed him, he would still trust him. It may remind you of a lot of these different things. But first, I'm going to uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, and we'll uh, a little more closely. To Shigianoth, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. 
You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Kind of a funny way to end it, right? Um, so we're trust, trusting in God. Trusting in God puts our anxiety to rest. We want to turn from fear to faith. So we've talked about for a few weeks now. We sympathize with Habakkuk, don't we? We realize his complaint is relevant to our world today. Where's the punishment for sin? How can God allow people to continue the way they are? And then, why does God allow his own people to be tormented by evil unbelievers? Where's the justice? Where's the reign of righteousness that God promised? From the Bible Knowledge Commentary, he says this, and I think we have this for the screen, the, the prophet's complaints were swallowed up by confidence. Did you notice that at the end? All his complaints went away. His fear turned to faith. Habakkuk was transformed from a sour, jittery prophet, weighed down with burdens, to a secure, joyous preacher, buoyed up with blessing. The just, the upright, the happy, the contented, the victorious live by their faith. Yes, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And we find this in 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And then another uh, quote here, the sovereign Lord gives triumph over circumstances to those who trust him. The way to get out from under the load is to get right under the Lord. To be under the Lord is to be over the circumstance. That lesson is worth the price of the book, especially when all the world seems like a cesspool of quicksand. Most Christians are familiar with the phrase, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Although most don't connect it with Habakkuk. The reason is that we learned a couple weeks ago that phrase was used by Paul at least twice and used by the writer to the Hebrews. But it's a quote from this prophet, and really it's the answer to everything. It's really the answer to everything. How can we understand that what God is allowing or not allowing to happen in the world? If the wisdom of man is foolishness to God, how will we ever understand it? If our logic chip looks at the world and says, it doesn't compute, how do the wicked get by with their wickedness? How, how will we ever feel safe or secure or at peace? There's only one way, through faith. You see, in the end, we need to trust in God. We need to trust that we, 
those things that we can't make sense of. He has perfect control. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the end result of all of it. He's orchestrating events for his future and ultimate glory. And we can question God like Habakkuk or like and we can cry out to him why or how long. But like those men in the end, we need to simply settle on one thing, putting our trust and our faith in the God who knows. You know, he's, he knows. He knows it. Isaiah 40, 13 and 15, it says, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Job 21, 22, Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that he judges those who are on high? 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So we need a spirit. Now if you were to do a Google search of Bible verses about the God who knows, you, would, you could spend all day just studying them. God knows what's going on. He knows what has been happening. He knows what will happen. He chooses what part of knowledge we need. And sometimes that bugs us, right? But the reality is he hasn't given us all the knowledge. He keeps back for himself some of his secrets. We don't have secrets from God, but he has secrets from us. He has every right to do so, by the way. We don't have any right to demand that he give up those secrets. No matter how much we insist on answers to the questions we have, He's revealed enough to help us put faith in him. What he reveals to us is ours to know, ours to study, ours to contemplate, ours to encourage one another with, but the secret things belong to him. He is the creator, and we are the creatures. The creator is not compelled to explain himself to the creatures. Deuteronomy 20, 29 or 29.29, as some of my students from Sunday evening will remember, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. In other words, God's not telling you everything, but he's telling you what you need to know and what you need to obey, and that's what he tells us. So instead of focusing so heavily on what we are not given, we have to focus instead heavily on what we are given. God's contains all we need. So Habakkuk begins this prayer or psalm to stand back after all his complaints and after he has, has to consider the answer of the Lord, now he realizes, I just have to rest in my faith. How can we be righteous? The righteous one lives by his faith. And so Habakkuk realizes that to be righteous, he must live by his faith. And so we also if we desire to be righteous, must live by our faith as well. Verse 2, he continues, Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. What report has Habakkuk heard? Well, he knows the history of God's interactions with Israel. 
In fact, he's going to recount some of them. And just as we in the church often remember what is recorded in the gospel and in the Acts, we, we kind of want that to happen too. Do you ever find yourself reading those gospels or the book of Acts and say, well, do it again, Lord. Do it here in our church, here in my heart. And so have a desire to see God doing mighty acts like he did for the people of Israel in times past. I've heard the report of you and your work. Revive it. Make it known. When your wrath must be satisfied, remember mercy. Verse 3, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Here Habakkuk recalls some of God's deeds. I won't go into those right now. You can see in your footnotes or in cross-references that these refer to things like 1 Chronicles 145 and Deuteronomy 33.2, which says, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. And what that is taken from in the context is Moses recalling the works of God for Israel. Verse 4, his brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. So we all began our art in life with children trying to draw things, right? Some of us were better than others. Some of us were at the lower end of the gifting for art. But how do we draw the sun when we're a child? Circle, little lines coming out, right? Or maybe little triangles. What does that represent? The radiance of the sun. Rays flashed from his hand. And there he veiled his power. Now, we don't worship the sun, as some people do. But think about this. The sun is absolutely necessary to our physical life, isn't it? If we did not receive its warmth, of course, we wouldn't live. If, we, if our plants didn't receive the rays of the sun, we'd have no food. The sun is absolutely necessary for our life. And yet the sun is terrible. It's massive. If, maybe you've seen one of these visual depictions that the earth's size in comparison to uh, the ball of fire we call the sun. Have you ever seen one of those? It's like the earth is here and the sun is here, you know. The sun could entirely consume the earth in a heartbeat. And at the same time, the sun is necessary to us and unapproachable by us. And so it is with the holiness of God. Because of holiness, we can trust in what he says and we can have faith that he will see it through. And yet, if we as fallen people, as people born into sin, if we were to approach this holiness, we would be consumed. And that's why Isaiah had that fear he did when he saw and witnessed the presence of God. In Isaiah 6, 5, he said, Woe is me! Remember we talked about woes last week? Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The response of Isaiah to God's holiness was fear. He knew he could be consumed by it. That's why a man who touched the ark of God was instantly killed. That's why Aaron's sons were instantly killed when they dared to attempt to worship God in a way other than the way he prescribed, which is a serious thing to think about as we talk about how how are we supposed to worship God. And that's why against God's holiness, no man or woman or child, for that matter, would ever be able to stand before him. Certainly not in any righteousness that we possess. 
but the righteous one shall live by his faith. Our righteousness, if we're in Christ, that allows us not only to survive, but ultimately to thrive in God's holiness. It's not a righteousness of our own, thank God. But the one who puts faith in Jesus is clothed in his, right, clothed in his righteousness. Verse 5, before him went pestilence and plague followed his heels. Here Habakkuk is recalling the plagues God sent to Egypt. Verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations, and the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. He is the creator. He is everlasting. In verses 7 through 9, I saw the tents of Cushan and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the rivers and indignation against the sea? See, God has delivered in many ways. And here Habakkuk calls the miracles of God to save his people. How did he do it? Stopping rivers at one point, right? Dividing the waters of the sea. And, and he's asking, was your wrath against the waters? And it's a rhetorical question, right? No, God's not wrath isn't against the waters. You know, they're only waters that he created, and they only do what he told them to do anyway. No, his wrath wasn't against the waters. He was showing his power. And then in verses 10 through 15, you see some more. I'm not going to read all of this right now again, but uh, we read it earlier. The mountains saw you and writhed. He's talking about God's power over nature. The power of God, his strength. The prophet is trying to convey in words that are limited to do such the amazing nature of God. And he's God over all of nature. He's the all-powerful creator. It's really a dip, not a very difficult thing after all for him, right? To hold the water back, to divide the sea. For the guy who created it all, the God that created it all, that's, is that a hard thing to do? Not at all. And then in verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble and to come upon people who invade us. All of this reminds Habakkuk that his fear should not be in the sin of Israel. His fear shouldn't be of the Chaldeans, but his fear should be in God's awesome power. Thinking of this makes his body tremble, his lips quiver, his legs tremble. If we have a sense of God, we would do the same. Who can stand before him? And yet Habakkuk returns to his faith. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So if you've been mistreated, if you've been suffering because of someone else's cruelty, if you know what it means to carry emotional scars from someone more wicked than yourself, will you hold on to the grudge? Will you try to get your revenge? Or will you wait quietly for the Lord to bring justice in his time? Finally, Habakkuk says he will rejoice in the Lord no matter what happens. 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. So this is not a good situation he's talking about. The flocks be cut off from the fold. There's no herd in the stalls. Everything is gone to pot. Habakkuk says, I will still rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Does that remind you at all of Job? Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. How did Habakkuk have this confidence? He based his faith basically on two things. The historical proof of God's past involvement with his people, particularly in saving them, and his trust in God's promise. How about Job? How did he... How could he say that? How could he say, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him? He lost his livelihood, lost his children, lost his health, and yet he said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. How did he do that? Job could say that because he had this confidence because of his faith. And he said in chapter 19, 23, and 27, this is Job again, Oh, that my words were written. He want them inscribed in a book. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. His faith got him through. It's the same reason David could sing blessings to God. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives you your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? And Mary as well in the Magnificat. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now as we enter the holiday season, let's commit together to be a people of praise and hope. Faith over fear. Let us not lose sight of the eternal promise of God because our sights are focused on the problems in our world now. Let's not do that. I urge you during this holiday season, commit on focusing on God's goodness. And if that means shutting off your cable news network, that might be helpful, right? Or get off your news apps or whatever you do to consume all that bad news. You might just shut it off for the holidays. I usually do. And you'll want to be in church during this season. You're absolutely going to want to be in church. The holidays are a special time, and you need to spend part of your time with God's people. And resist the earth hold on to anger or vengeance. Instead, trust that the God who knows also sees, also hears, and also will always act in accordance with his character, which is justice, righteousness, holiness, goodness, love. And how to get along in the church and how to survive the world is found in Philippians 4, 4 through 8. You may remember I mentioned this recently. It was the, the two ladies who got famous in the Bible because they were not getting along. And Paul said, hey, tell these two ladies to get along. And he gave them how to do it. And here's how to do it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And if you did all of those things in Philippians 4 through 4 through 8, then you wouldn't have time to be in the disagreement that the ladies in verse 1 got called out for. You know that? So let's commit that. Should we together, church? During this holiday season especially, but even beyond that, why don't we be the people of hope? Why don't we be the people who obey Scripture found in Philippians 4? That we think about those things and we spend a lot less time complaining about everything else. Let us be a people committed to live out this life of faith with the confidence of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk if you like it that way, of Job, of David, of Paul, who in spite of their sometimes being confused and sometimes being even frustrated by the timing of God, in the end those people put faith and trust in him. Next week begins a sermon series for the Advent season. And you're not going to want to miss being in church. We're, we're going to be celebrating together. And this leads up to what's going to be a very special Christmas Eve service this year. This will begin even today as we brighten up the church with our holiday decorations. And by the way, if you came in today and you don't know what that's all about, we're having a meal. Please stay. And then we're going to set up the church and get it ready for the holiday season. Stay and enjoy the family of God together. I know there's plenty of cookies. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll have a little better appreciation now for Habakkuk, too, right? I bet when I started this one, people were like, who's this guy? Who's this? I've never even heard of this book of the Bible. <laughs> Where's it at? You know? But when we look closely at the Bible, we find that really people aren't that much different than we are today, are they? We have the same bent towards sin. We have the same need for God. And the righteous continue to ask God how long and why and questions like that. And the answer returns the same to us as it did in, in those hundreds of years ago. The righteous shall live by their faith. And my prayer for us is that our faith would be so strong that it would triumph over the fears in our lives. So what are your fears? Financial, safety, loneliness, health. Tell God about your fears. Let him know your concerns, but be reminded by the promises of God. And you can, just as the prophet did, turn your fears into faith. Let's do it together. We need each other. Let's pray. Thank you for your word this morning, and thank you for these enthusiastic believers who came out to celebrate you